0: we are reading about a a miraculous birth in uh, Luke chapter 1. So if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 67 through 80. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. And please stand as we give honor to God's Word. And hear God's Word for God's people. Verse 67, And His Father, The the oath that He swore to His father Abraham to grant that we shall be delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him with our feet in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun rise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in the Spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of the public appearance to Israel let's pray. Father, we thank you for this one long sentence in Luke. This is just one big long second sentence because it's just the author Luke empowered by the spirit cannot just have the praise just roll off his tongue. It just it rolls off his tongue and he doesn't even stop or pause. It talks about a, an amazing birth, the prophet John who will come before and be the forerunner of Jesus. Lord, thank You for this critical piece in the Christmas story that sometimes we can tend to forget. And so Lord, I pray that we have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Lord, continue to do Your work of Christmas in our hearts this morning. Lord, I'm reminded of Philippians 1 that He who began a good work in us will complete it, will bring it to completion. Lord, I understand that today is a, a day of celebration as Christmas is coming, and there's joy and there's there's happiness and there's hope. There's a there's a, and we're looking forward uh, to celebrating your first coming here. But we also recognize that living in the Genesis three world is hard, and 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 some bring um, discouragement, doubt, despair. They're dejected, and so Lord, I pray for uh, to give faith to those who are doubting. Right now, to give hope to those who are in despair. To give encouragement to those who are downcast. And to give joy to those who are dejected. And Lord, there's nothing that we are called to do, but turn our eyes and fix them on You and believe in Christ. And we will receive faith. We will receive hope. We will receive encouragement and joy. Uh, there, there's no mountains for us to climb. There's no hoops for us to jump through. It's just, there's an invitation that has been extended to all of us here to be accepted. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us in here accept the invitation of Christ Jesus, the one we celebrate this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. How many of us in here have flown on a plane? Raise your hand. How many of us in here have flown on a plane more than once? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, many of us in here. Um, and I imagine if you kind of think back to the first time you took a flight, uh, maybe you had little butterflies, a little nervousness on getting on that plane, then you sat on the seat, and all of a sudden you saw the flight attendant come up, and they kind of gave the safety and introduction speech on, on different things, seat belts, you know, the little, the little oxygen thing where your life preserver is, all that kind of stuff, right? And I bet you, who was dialed in and paying attention that very first flight to the flight attendant? Raise your hand. Okay. How about the second, third, fourth, and fifth time? Who pays attention to the flight attendant? Hardly anybody in here, right? Hardly anybody in here. Uh, and that's because, you know, well, since my flight in 1979, the, the information hasn't changed. The little spiel hasn't changed except for maybe turning off your phones or turn your phones on airplane mode and tuck away your computers, right? Um, is Kristen here? Is Kristen here? Oh, she's in Texas right now. Okay, so Kristen is our resident flight attendant. I was going to have her stand, and we were going to confess our sins to her for not for not listening to obey. So that all right, that just flew out the window. All right, flew out the window. All right, good. But here's the deal: I, I we can tend to treat the Christmas story the same way we treat the flight attendant giving that safety instruction, right? We're, we're here, but sometimes we're not here because we've heard the story of Adam. We heard the story of Christ's birth over and over again, and we know it. And so I, I want us to be on guard, not to fall into that trap. This is what we've been talking about these last uh, three weeks before. This is the fourth week of Advent, But let's listen and let's worship and let's meditate on the Christmas story as if it were our first time hearing it. Because there's nothing more miraculous than God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And then living the perfect life in your place and my place. And then dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. There's nothing more astonishing than that story. And every time we hear it, it should bring up a, a praise and a joy. It should well up in our soul. That should, uh, ends in praise. You see, the Christmas story, as we talk about, focuses on the incarnation of Jesus. It, it kind of, as we end this year, it kind of keeps our mind focused on the main thing. It keeps the main thing, the main thing, with all the distractions and all the trappings that we have around this time. Sunday mornings, when we come to texts like this, it, it brings us back to have our hearts in our mind, focus on the main thing. That the incarnation of Jesus and how miraculous that was. And it's that, it's that here is where our faith, our hope, and our joy lies as Christians. Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan, uh, describes the incarnation this way. He said, Jesus became poor so that you and me might make us rich. That He might make us rich. He was born a virgin so that we could be born of God. He took on flesh so that we might give us His Spirit. He laid in the manger so that we may lay in paradise. He came down from heaven to bring us up to heaven. That the Eternal should be born. That He who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle. That He who rules the stars should feed from His mother's breast. That He who was born of woman, the woman that He Himself made. This is an incredible and a miraculous event that God became man and dwelt among us. It's such an incredible event that all of heaven shows up at the birth of Christ. And that puts on the greatest concert to ever on the face of this earth. Luke 2.13 says, Suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts." praising God. So if all of heaven shows up for this event, the first Christmas, every time we hear the story, we should just be amazed. We should be in awe. And so let that be our heartbeat this morning as we look at really the story of one who usually is forgotten in Christmas. The story of the forerunner, John the Baptist. So let's look at this together. First point is, praise the Lord for the plan. Praise the Lord for the plan. Verses 67 through 75. Look at verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice right off the bat, just like his wife Elizabeth that Rich talked about last week was, was filled with the Holy Spirit, Zachariah is filled. He's guided. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill this plan that the Lord has for him. He is God's man in this next plan and stage of redemption. And the Holy Spirit is, is behind this. He is the conductor. He is the, the maestro of this prophecy and I say he's the conductor and the maestro because most commentators believe that this is a song. This is a song that Zechariah is singing. And so we're going to take it as such. In verse 67, we see that Zechariah breaks out in a solo. A solo of praise to the Lord, his God. If you're an old school Christian like me, you know, like we'll say 50 years and up. I just turned 50 this last week. So 50 years and up, old school Christians, and you've been in church, you know this as special music, right? John is singing some special music to us this morning, and uh, he breaks out with, blessed be the Lord. That word blessed, this song is known throughout church history as the Benedictus, because the opening lyrics is that of blessing. John is overwhelmed with joy. That he just praises the Lord. And for us to understand why Zechariah is so overwhelmed with joy, we actually have to go back to Luke chapter one, verse five, and kind of be reminded of this story, of the story of John the Baptist. And so just turn your page, uh, turn your Bibles back a page and look at Luke chapter one. And here, this is leading up to the second Christmas song ever written. The first one we looked at last week was Mary's song that Rich opened up to did a great job. That was the first Christmas song written. This is the second Christmas song written. And it might not be on your top 10 you know, Christmas list, but this is a vital song that you need to know, that we need to know if we want to understand the Christmas story. So first, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, who is Zechariah? Well, he's a he's a priest from the line of Levi. He comes from this division of Abijah. The priests were divided into 24 divisions back then. And then twice a year <clears throat> for the week, they would take turns throughout the year. Twice a year, they would take turns in serving in the temple during the major festivals. Well, this time of year, this was Zechariah's uh, 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 division to serve in the temple. And so he's a, he's a priest from the line of Levi. We see that he's married. He has a wonderful wife, Elizabeth, and they're considered righteous and holy before the Lord. Not that they were perfect, but, but their lives were, were dictated by the truths of Scripture. They had a desire to be faithful and obey the word of God. They were faithful followers of Yahweh. But not only do we see that they're married, but there's another detail in here that we see. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Many people believe that they were in their 80s at this point. And so for, 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 for years, uh, they've been trying to have a child, but they could not conceive. And so here's a couple that no doubt got married again in their teenage years. And they were, that, that when they said I do and they were joined together in marriage, they were anticipating what kind of life they were going to have together. They were anticipating what kind of family they were going to have. They were going to have a, mu- a bunch of kids and just leave this legacy for the Lord. But they didn't. That plan didn't come to fruition. And not having kids back in that day would would be seen as a, a disgrace, that there might be something wrong with you, in particular on the woman, on Elizabeth. She would carry this disrespect, this shame that we see will be lifted in verse 25. But notice that even though you know, what they maybe planned in life didn't come to pass that didn't stop them from honoring and worshiping the Lord. They were still faithful in worshiping the Lord. They were still faithful in using their gifts to, to proclaim the good news and to live for the Lord. I think many of us, this is, this is great application for us. This is great application. So let, let Zachariah and Elizabeth maybe encourage you this morning. That even though your life and and, and your plans might not go the way that you have planned them or desired them or dreamed them to go, maybe he's taking you on a different course. Still be faithful. Look and trust as Elizabeth and Zechariah did on the Lord. Knowing that he is sovereign, he is in control of everything. That he is good. Let, Let them encourage you that for 80 years they served the Lord, even though there was a stigma on them. But that didn't stop them from trusting the Lord, and it didn't stop them from from praying for a child. So let that encourage you this morning. I know as I look back on my life, uh, I I had a dream, I had a vision on what my life would have been. And um, it's not exactly that, but it's even better than that. Because the Lord is in control, so let that encourage you this morning. We see that Zechariah uh, was um, he won to go into the temple and burn the incense by casting of lots. In verse eleven, uh, he says, "While he was in the temple alone, the angel Gabriel shows up again." Remember, angel the angel Gabriel is God's you know personal messenger. He's the one that gets sent to make these great announcements. And so Gabriel shows up, and 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 obviously, <clears throat> obviously Zechariah freaks out. And so Gabriel's got to calm him down. Do not be afraid. Verse 11, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And then he tells him what this his son, who his son's going to be in verse 15. Your son is going to be great. Many are going to rejoice at the birth of him because he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. Verse 17, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's going to fulfill this prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah, this is going to be your boy. You might have not gotten all these children early on in your life, but you're getting the one child. You're going to be blessed with the one child who's going to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord. Zechariah obviously is overwhelmed with this. He doesn't know what's hitting him, And he doesn't respond by faith, but he actually responds by doubting. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And then Gabriel, the an, uh, angel, rips off his credentials, tells him he's from the Lord. And he, and he presents this, uh, this curse on Zechariah that he will not be able to speak until these things come to pass. Why? Verse 20, because you didn't believe my words. And so we see that Zechariah then walks out of the temple and there's people all around outside the temple and they, they're trying to talk to him and he can't speak. So they realize that he has saw a vision. He has saw a vision. Now fast forward nine months and eight days and look at verse 57. 57 through 66. We see that this announcement has come to pass. John has been born. Zachariah and Elizabeth have their baby, their baby boy. And it's, on, it's the eighth day, the day of circumcision and the day of naming the child. So it's kind of a bittersweet day for John, as you can imagine, right? Uh, but there's a big party. Because he is a blessing, because he's a gift, because they're old in age and they're 80s and they get their first child, the whole city shows up to celebrate. And they're there celebrating with friends and family this wonderful gift. On the eighth day, again, they're about to name this miraculous baby. What are they going to name him? And typically back then you would name the baby after someone in your family line, in your family tree. And so the, the, the people who are there ask Mary in verse 59, so uh, Mary, uh, Elizabeth, of course you're going to name him Zachariah Jr., right? That's what you're going to name him. And Elizabeth says, no, we're actually going to name him John. And we see that that doesn't really necessarily go over well with the people there. Can you imagine the pressure of just naming your kids, but then when you tell them the name, the people will be like, well, that name doesn't work, right? Can you imagine that, and then and, and and so and so in verse sixty one, you, you you have this dialogue, and they're like, John, why John? No one in your family's name is named John. You don't have a John in your family, so why would you name your name John? Like Mary, you know, hey, tell Elizabeth you can't name her name John, right? I don't know, boy. I just start talking like an Italian and I am when I hear this. Right? I'm moving my hands. I'm talking. You can see. You can hear the dialogue. Put yourself in this situation. And then someone has a bright idea like, hey, let's let's ask his father what they may want to name him, right? And up to this point, um, he can't speak, Zachariah can't speak. And so in 62 it says, and they made signs to his father inquiring him what he wanted to be called. So apparently a game of charades breaks out to try and communicate with Zachariah, right? For those of us that 35 years and older, we know what charades is. For you younger, it's gestures, right? You can't speak, you just make signs and you try and guess his name, Right? And so here he is. And finally, Zechariah just somehow signs and says, hey, verse 63. And he, Zechariah, asked for his iPad. It says, writing tablet and wrote. His name is John. His name is John. And they all wondered. They were confused, like, what is going on? But immediately, as soon as he did that, what happens? He could speak he began to speak. And we have his first words recorded here. Over nine months, he was sitting in his doubt, working through that. And when it came time to name the baby, his faith overcame his doubt. And he named the baby exactly what Gabriel commanded him to to name him via the Lord. His name will be John. And this is the background, and we can see why that Zechariah broke out in praise, in song, in a solo of worshiping and blessing the Lord. One that he had his baby boy finally, that they'd been praying for for decades. That, That finally his wonderful wife wouldn't have to walk through the marketplace with shame and disgrace and people looking at the corner of their eye, but they would celebrate her. And that moved his heart as a husband. But more importantly, he understood that when he as a priest would preach through Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, that the one that he proclaimed as the forerunner, that he told his people to look after, would be his baby boy, John. So let's let's quickly listen to his song together this morning. Again, verse 68, he opens up with blessing. Blessed be the Lord Of Israel. Why? Why? For He has visited His and redeemed His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant. Zechariah breaks forth in this song of praise because the Lord has visited us. The Lord has redeemed us. And salvation is upon us. That's why He's singing. He's singing what the the world has longed for since Genesis 3 in the fall. We've been longing for this serpent crusher to come and save us. We've been longing for this Messiah. I want you to put yourself in Zechariah or Elizabeth. What would have been your first words after not being able to, to speak? What would have been your first words? It would have been entirely credible for Zechariah to be say, Thank you, Lord, for giving me back my voice. That would have been totally legit. It would have been totally appropriate to say, like, Lord, thank you for this blessing of this little baby. That would have been totally legit and appropriate. But John realizes that there's even a greater story than his story going on right here. There's a bigger and grander story that's taking place. It is the story of redemption. And he recognizes that this is coming from the hand of the Lord. Therefore, he praises the One who's bringing this story to past. That's why he breaks out in song. That we have been visited by God Himself, Jesus his relative would be in his um, Mary. He would be buried, uh, Jesus would be born to Mary and Joseph. He would grow up. He would become a man and a Savior. And not just any kind of Savior, but a powerful, strong Savior. Look at that phrase, raise up a horn of salvation. That idea of horn of salvation, they would think of, uh, think of strength of power because that horn symbolized, or as a metaphor for the animal's horns, they were strong. That's what gave them strength, was their horns. And so here the horn represents strength um, for Christ. This strength is, is attributed to Jesus as our Savior. We know when He first came, He came as a suffering servant. But even though He was a suffering servant with humility, He was strong. He was powerful. He had to battle with sin and Satan on a daily basis. Remember, He, he was pushed out in the first 40 days of His ministry by the Holy Spirit to be tempted for 40 days by Himself. He had to be strong to overcome those. That sin. That temptation. He had to live the perfect life in our place. Then He had to, to have the fortitude to go to the cross to die for our sins. To be crucified on the cross. He was buried and three days later. He was a strong Savior. He was a strong Savior. This is why Zechariah is singing the Messiah is here to save. He has visited us. I love how one says this. He says, without divine visitation, there would be no redemption. You see, you and I desperately needed the Lord to visit us. Because without Him coming and becoming man, we would have no hope and no salvation. And again, this, this plan was no accident. It was planned from the very beginning as Zachariah sings. This visitation, this redemption that he is singing about, Uh, Began with the fathers in the covenants, verse 17, verse 72. It moved through Abraham, verse 73, through the house of David in verse 69, and then through all the holy prophets of old, verse 70. He's highlighting this plan. This was no accident. And the message of the visitation and redemption that was taking place, all of the Old Testament uh promises of God are now coming to pass. They're now being fulfilled. Every promise from Genesis and Exodus and, and Isaiah and Daniel and Zephaniah and Malachi are coming to pass. They, they are here now. They are happening. And the message of this visitation redemption is that we, verse 71 and 74, that they would be saved from their enemies and from their hand to all who hates us. But again, as Cole even pointed out in his introduction, this is not about a physical salvation being uh, freed from the tyranny of Rome. There's something, again, a bigger, grander story that's taking place. This is a spiritual salvation as the salvation is defined in verse 77 that says to give knowledge of salvation to His people for the forgiveness of their sin. That's why this is such a miraculous thing. Is that, that you and I can find ourselves in these verses. In this story. Our redemption is here, found in Christ. This is why He had to come. And as He did, He liberated us. He gave us freedom, life, joy, peace, and hope to be grasped and experienced. It was happening back then, but we're experiencing the implications of it now. This is why He breaks out in song. Zechariah sings of victory and freedom from a greater and more powerful enemy than Rome. Sin. Satan. And eternal damnation. And we can say the same thing. And we can sing the same thing today. We could join as a chorus, as the backup singers for Zechariah and say yes and amen. Because your sin, my sin, has been forgiven by the One who visited us and redeemed us by Christ. This is what the first Christmas was all about. It's only about the first Christmas. It's about the Christmas that we look forward to celebrate here in a week. It's about that the Lord has become flesh and visited us, redeemed us, and He saved us. He is faithful to the promises and the plans that He prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament. Which brings us to our second point. Praise the Lord for the prophet. Praise the Lord for the prophet, verses 76 and 80. You see, we know that there's been hundreds of years of silence from the Lord, from the last book written in the Old Testament to the announcement of Gabriel here to Zechariah. These have been the first words that God has broken His silence and He went to Zechariah. The angel Gabriel was sent to Zechariah. Why? Because now the announcement and the fulfillment of the birth of John, salvation is on the move. It's coming down the pike Sooner rather than later. And I want us to, when we read stories like this, I want us again to to read them as if we were in the story. You you can feel the emotion of Zechariah and even God Himself in this story. He he, he opens up and and reveals His heart to us in this story. First, Zechariah, look at verse 76. And you, child... You got to think that he's in his 80s. Him and his wife have been praying for this a baby, and all of a sudden, John is here. And not only is it just a baby, but it's the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's holding John in his hands. You have to believe that his voice might have cracked a little bit, huh? You have to believe that emotion took over him. And it's like, oh, and you, child. Can like, you feel the emotion from this father? You, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people for the forgiveness of their sin. Can you imagine what the what the family members and the friends who are in the house were just listening to as, as John sang, the, as Zacharias sang this song about John? It would have moved your emotions as it should move our emotions today. And we know that 30 years later when John would come on the scene, he would fulfill his calling in pointing people to Jesus and proclaiming a repentance of faith for the forgiveness of sin. But here's the deal. We we, we, kind of start with John there. We, We forget how important John is in the beginning, in the Christmas story, right here. John kind of gets lost in the Christmas story, but again, he is vital. Jesus and John are connected from the beginning. They're connected from their mother's wombs in the very beginning. Yes, Jesus by far is the star of this show, but John will receive the best supporting actor Because we know John would grow up and he would be the one who would literally connect and point Jesus in the manger to Jesus on the cross for you and me. Remember in Matthew 21 where Joseph, the angel Gabriel goes to Joseph and he says, hey, you're going to name your child Jesus because He's going to save your people from your sins. And then we remember John in John 1.29 where 30 years later after their birth of John and Jesus, here comes Jesus. John is baptizing people in the, um, in the Jordan River and then all of a sudden he sees Jesus and he literally points at Jesus. And he says, this man right here, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is the connector from Jesus in the manger to Jesus in the cross. And Jesus Himself affirms John as His forerunner. Luke 7.27, this is Jesus speaking. This is He. J- John is the one. It is who is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, there is none more greater born of woman than John. Jesus also affirms John in his role, that he is the forerunner to him. And then he says, this is the greatest man to ever walk the planet Earth. So let us not forget the importance of John this Christmas in the Christmas story. Many of us in our homes have Christmas decorations. We got, we got trees. We got nativity scenes. We got, we got stars. We got... Um, You know, the little nativity scenes with animals, and we got Mary and Joseph, we got shepherds. Um, We even have kings there, which, you know, the kings don't come from two years ago. I mean, two years later, so they're not really at the nativity scene, but they're there. So they're even getting some love. But where's John? Where's John? So let me encourage us this, this week to put out some honey. To maybe go to the store and buy some little locusts, right? And put them up on the mantles, right? Maybe call a fabric shop in the Middle East and ask for a swatch of camel's hair. And let's remember how important John is. Because Luke and Jesus highlight how important he is in the beginning of the Christmas story. That John plays an important role in the story of redemption. That He is the fulfillment of, again, Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3 and 4 who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. For Scripture to be fulfilled, there must be a forerunner before the Messiah. If there is no forerunner, there is no Messiah. And Luke points out, in fact, all four Gospels point out, that's how important John is, that John is the forerunner and Jesus is the Messiah. John is the prophet who is preparing the way for the Lord to bring the message of salvation, forgiveness of sin for you and for me. And again, I just love how Luke highlights this, how he highlights Jesus and John and he puts them together. Luke presents us with two angelic announcements, two miraculous pregnancies and births, two sons, Jesus and John, two faithful families with one message. For one purpose, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to His people for the forgiveness of their sins. Again, this is the message of Christmas. And it's no accident that the angel Gabriel via the Lord gave the forerunner's name John to accomplish this message of forgiveness of sin. Do you know what his name means? Do you know what John means? It means God is merciful. That's what the name of John means. It means God is merciful. Now look at verse 78 because now we see the motive of the Lord. Here's the Lord now opening up His heart to us in the story of salvation. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, where the sun shall visit us from on high. Mercy is the motive of God saving us. It's the the motive of God saving us. It's the motive of the first Christmas story is mercy. Yes, love, joy, peace, mercy. I love what Spurgeon says about mercy in the Lord. He says you never have to drag mercy out of Christ as money from a miser. Isn't that good? You never have to drag mercy out of Christ as money from a miser. He gives out mercy in abundance. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We deserve death, He gives us life. We deserve darkness, He gives us light. We we deserve to be left in the darkness as it goes on, in the shadows of death. And that produces us to live in fear as we walk throughout this earth because we don't know what's coming over the next pass or around the next corner. But Jesus in verse 79 sends us Uh, But God sends us Jesus in verse 79. The sun rise. And and, and He brings light. He shines light on our path. He brings us peace. He brings us security along the path of redemption. And our fear fades to joy because we, we can see where we're going. And we know we have the peace and security of Christ. And notice what kind of mercy it is. It's just not mercy. But what kind of mercy it is? It's a tender mercy. Here's where we see the heart of God. It's a a tender mercy. Literally, in the language, it means God God feels this mercy in His bowels. It's deep. If He had a gut, it would be in His gut. It's where we feel those those butterflies. This is where where God's mercy comes from. It comes from deep inside of Him. To give us what we do not deserve. If this story, if this mercy moves the heart of God in His deepest beings, how can it ever become old with us? Can you feel the emotion behind Zechariah and God Himself and how important this birth is? This announcement that the forerunner has come. So here's the question for us today. Here's the application for us today. Are you walking in the light of Jesus and His path of peace this morning? Ask yourself that question. Because if not, if you are not walking, if if Christ hasn't shown His light on you, then you're still sitting in darkness with no hope this morning. But here's the good news of the Christmas story. Here's the good news for you if that is where you find yourself this morning. That the gift of light and peace has is, is being extended to you right now via this story. And you just have to receive it. You, you receive it by repenting of your sins. You see yourself as wanting to be your own God and rebelling and running your own race down your own path. You repent of that and by faith you put Your trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You put your life in the horn of salvation. That is Jesus. The one who John is pointing you to this morning. And has pointed many of us to this morning. Today is the day for you to get off the path of darkness and death and get on the path of light and life. And again, you do that by embracing The one that John pointed to, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and trust in Him. And now for many of us who have in this room, we have done that. We we are walking on the, the path of peace and security and joy because we can see clearly because of Christ. I just have a couple of things for us to do this week. First, just break out in song. I think Rich mentioned this last week. Just just break out in song. Break out in praise. Break out in worship for what Christ has done for you this Christmas season. Because the Lord has visited you and me. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. I mean, doesn't that make you want to sing? So sing this week. Break out in song. By yourself, maybe with friends, family, life group. Sing in the car. Sing in the shower. Sing on a walk. If you want to go sound of music, get up to the Rocky Mountains and sing at the top of the mountain. You know, Just let it rip. Just sing. Meditate on this story and see what it does to your heart. See if it moves you as it did Zachariah. See if it moves you as it does God. So that's one. Just sing out to the Lord this week. And number two, can you and I also follow in the footsteps of John this week. And be the forerunner, the pointer to Jesus, to someone we love in our life. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker who doesn't know who Jesus is. They're sitting or they're walking on the path of darkness. They're sitting in the shadow of death. And you have the gift that will bring light to their life. Can we be like John? And point people to Jesus by announcing through the Gospel. Can you and I do that this week? That we would share the tender mercy of God, His Son, with those in our family, again, in our friend circles who are seen in darkness. I know you want them to, to experience the love, the grace, the mercy, the peace of God, the light of Jesus. So extend to them this Christmas season What John was doing back in the first Christmas season and pointing people to Jesus. Extend the greatest gift that you can give them this Christmas season. The gift of the first Christmas. Jesus and His message of the Gospel. Because this is why He visited us. This is why He came. So that we would be transferred from the the path of darkness to the path of light. That he cross over from death to life. This is why He came. I'll open up as I... I'll close as I opened up. Jesus laid in the manger so that we may lay in paradise. Jesus came down from heaven so that He could bring us up to heaven. Let's celebrate that truth this morning. And again, if you're haven't done that, take this opportunity to receive Jesus because we want to see You in paradise. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and grace. Lord, thank You for this great little story of John the Baptist, the forerunner. And again, Lord, just... Just just let us look at the importance of John, pointing us to Jesus. Because without John, without the forerunner, there is no Messiah. And Jesus Himself even pointed out the importance of John. That John points us to Him. So thank you for these two miraculous angelic announcements, these two miraculous pregnancies and birth, these two sons, Jesus and John. And Lord, may we again, may this, just, this story, what we talked about today, may it just fuel our passion for You. Our love for You. And may it cause us to, to shout and sing at the top of our lungs this week in worship and blessing. And Lord, it to also propel us to share the greatest gift that we can share with anyone. The tender mercy of God in the Gospel found in Christ. Christ Jesus, to our friends and family members who are in darkness because we so want them to be in the light with us. Thank you for your tender mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.